Hey everybody, it's Jake Heller back again for another episode of Jake's Take, episode 97. I appreciate you guys tuning in once again. So much to cover on today's show. Going to be recapping the wild weekend that was at Auto Club Speedway out in Fontana, California. And the next gen car, the pros and cons that I saw from the weekend, what I like and what I don't like about this next gen car. And then as Jeff Gordon would say on NASCAR and Fox, teammates. Well, sure enough, two Hendrick Motorsports teammates, a little bit of a beef between the two of them. Kyle Larson, our defending series champion, and Chase Elliott, the champion from two years ago. Well, sure enough, Chase Elliott was not happy, and his fans were really not happy with Kyle Larson. So I will be giving my take on that, no pun intended. And then recapping, or previewing, excuse me, tomorrow's NASCAR Cup Series race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. So let's get right into it, folks. This past Saturday, Auto Club Speedway out in Fontana, California. I think in the two-plus decades that I've been watching NASCAR, this was by far the craziest practice session that I have ever seen, especially for the NASCAR Cup Series. Not even 15 seconds into practice, Kevin Harvick, our 2014 NASCAR Cup Series champion, Kevin gets loose in between the middle of turns three and four and backs it into the fence. The one thing that I do like about the next-gen car was his crew chief, Rodney Childers. Rodney, that four team, and everybody from the 10 team, the 14, the 41 teams at Stuart Haas Racing, they busted their asses off to repair the car instead of having to go to a backup car like they would have in the past. So that's one good thing. I guess you could say that the, the toughness, the durability, I guess you could say, with these next-gen cars, especially the... I was going to say the composite bodies like we've seen in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. You could, you could take a look, but not as much damage like you would have done with these, the old steel bodies that were on these race cars. But as soon as we went back to green, simultaneous spinning, I guess you could say. Chris Buescher got loose down in turn three and spun out. And right around the same time, Ross Chastain was in turn four. And I don't know if something broke on the car, if Ross got loose or overcorrected it, but hard, hard crash by Ross Chastain in the one car. Eerily, eerily similar to Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s 2002 crash at California Speedway that left him with a severe concussion. Now, when Ross got out of the car, sure enough, he did look like his bell was rung. He did look pretty banged up. But to my knowledge, thankfully, no injuries But that's the one thing that I worry about with this next-gen car is the cocoon inside of this car. When you consider how Ross looked pretty shaken up when he got out of the car last Saturday. And then even the weekend before at the Daytona 500 when Ricky Stenhouse Jr., when he crashed with five laps to go. And Ricky's head snapped forward as we saw with the in-car camera that was in Ricky's car. So... That concerns me for sure, especially when this past summer when they were doing the next-gen test at Talladega Super Speedway, they were doing a crash test, and they put a crash dummy in the car, and the way and the angle and the impact that this next-gen car hit, they said that the dummy would have died. So I would definitely be concerned if I were NASCAR, and that's something that I would not take very, very lightly whatsoever. That is definitely one thing that I am worried about with this next-gen car is a severe hit like that, that it could potentially injure someone or injure a driver. 
So then it was on to qualifying. And the one thing I have to say, as far as the weekend went, I do like a shorter practice session. But the, the whole thing with 15 minutes for Group A, 15 minutes for Group B, and we saw with Group A, with Kevin Harvick, Chris Buescher, Ross Chastain, with all of these things happening, you know, if you were in Group A, you lost out on so much track time for that matter. And then when we move on to qualifying, and when you look at, you know, Christopher Bell was another one. Christopher got loose all by himself. But sure enough, what I do like is the top 10 drivers, sort of like knockout qualifying, but the top 10 drivers going out there and settling it amongst themselves for pole position. And sure enough, the drivers that took part in the final qualifying session, the top 10, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, Daniel Hemrick, Kyle Busch, Eric Jones, Chase Elliott, William Byron, Austin Sendrick. And you saw these drivers pushing these cars to the absolute limit. Now, the other thing that I don't like about the next-gen car is when... The the other thing that sort of concerns me about the next-gen car, the qualifying times, the practice times, they were almost six miles an hour slower than the Xfinity cars. That is definitely not something to be proud of. And I mean, when Kyle Larson won the pole for the Daytona 500 just a couple weeks ago, it was the slowest pole-winning time for a Daytona 500 pole setter since 1967. That I don't like about the next-gen car. But we saw these drivers pushing these cars to the absolute limit. We saw Brad Keselowski. He made it to the final round of qualifying. Spins off of turn two. But he spins off of turn two. The car has to come to a rest because all the tires are flat and there's no interliner on the tires. And Brad gets out of his car. Sure enough, they bring a rollback out there and everything. And some people on Twitter are like, oh, why is Brad Keselowski bitching at, at, at the tow truck drivers? Well, it's because of these stupid tires that don't have interliners on them. If Brad, first off, he couldn't even drive the car because all the tires were flat. And like we saw so many times with, with the old car, with the interliner, if you were to try to drive it back to the pits, you tear the fenders off of the car. And so Brad was basically basically telling the tow truck drivers, be very, very careful with the car, with the tires, with the undercarriage of this race car. And because of that, because, you know, he had to, they had to repair the bottom half of the car, the undercarriage of the car, he had to start at the freaking back of the field on Sunday, along with Kevin Harvick for repairing his car, Eric Almirola spinning out and qualifying. Ross Chastain having to go to a backup car. Bubba Wallace. Bubba had to repair the rear diffuser on the car. He had to start at the back of the field. I don't like that. I think that's ridiculous. And you saw several other driver, drivers. William Byron spun out and qualifying. Chase Elliott. Joey Logano. You know, Joey, I thought for sure, was going to win the pole. And ended up hitting the wall. Tank slapping it off of turn four. And Chase Elliott, the last car to go out to qualify... He spins, and that puts Austin Sendrick on the pole 
for the first time, obviously, in his NASCAR Cup Series career. But joining him on the front row was Eric Jones in the 43 car for Richard Petty. And, of course, Richard Petty Motorsports and GMS Racing, they merged together during the offseason, Petty GMS. I read several articles over the weekend how Eric, being a Michigander, just like Dave Ellens, who was with Hendrick Motorsports and Junior Motorsports, Eric felt like if they would have hired Dave Ellens, which they did, that the two of them would have would have great chemistry. And sure enough, it's it's paying dividends. I mean, God, he qualified second in the 43 car. And the rest of the top ten, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Daniel Hamrick, part-time in the 16 car, Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski, and William Byron. So on Sunday... About approximately quarter to four, East Coast time. Austin Sendrick and Eric Jones on the front row. And Eric Jones goes to the lead immediately. And you're thinking to yourself, like, wow, this could be a career revival day, basically, for Eric Jones. And that's what's so great about this next-gen car. When we had the Gen 4, the car tomorrow, the Gen 6 car a little team like Richard Petty Motorsports, they were behind the eight ball nearly all the time, with the exception of Daytona, Talladega, Bristol, Martinsville, tracks that are great equalizers for teams that obviously don't have the funding of, say, a Hendrick, a Gibbs, a Penske, so on and so forth. But not only did Eric Jones look strong, but Tyler Reddick and that eight car for Richard Childress Racing looked incredibly strong and asserted himself early on as the car to beat. But with this next-gen car, lap 16 coming off of turn two, Kyle Busch, who I picked to win the race, just spun all by himself. We go back to green. Chase Elliott was looking very, very strong, having a great battle with Tyler Reddick, Eric Jones, William Byron. Like, the Chevrolets really, really showed that they were the, the manufacturer to beat. But not just Hendrick Motorsports, like I said. Obviously, Petty GMS, Richard Childress Racing, Trackhouse. I mean, really, all the Chevrolet teams looked really, really strong on Sunday. But lap 39, coming off of turn two, just like Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott spins, comes over the radio and says that he thinks some, something was broke in the car. So, as I was saying, the first stage and really a majority of this race Tyler Reddick was definitely the class of the field and Kyle Larson was another one Kyle Larson had to start at the back of the field for changing something on the dashboard with with the car like it's like I was telling my girlfriend Kelly on Sunday like I don't get these ridiculous asinine reasons having to start at the back of the field you know, just because Brad Keselowski had to repair the undercarriage of the car, just because Bubba Wallace had to fix a rear diffuser, just because Kyle Larson had to fix a dashboard, he has to start at the back of the field. Like, how ridiculous is that? Like, I, I would understand, like it's been for the last 20 years or so now, if you wreck and you have to go to a backup car, okay, you start at the back of the field. If you have to change the engine, you start at the back of the field. I'm totally okay with that. But I'm not okay with these ridiculous reasons for fixing the bottom of the race car or the rear of the race car or fixing a freaking dashboard. That's definitely something that NASCAR needs to look into because these are ridiculous reasons for having to start at the back of the field. 
But Kyle Larson, like I said, it did not take him long to work his way back up into contention. Sure enough, he finished fifth in the very first stage. Tyler Reddick went on to win the first stage of, of the race. And when I was listening to the Dale Jr. download this week, and Dale Jr. said that he texted NASCAR president Steve Phelps, and he said from a competition standpoint, he loved everything that he saw, especially with this race car. Because when I started Jake's Take back in late spring 2020, what was the number one thing I complained about on this podcast? The 550 horsepower high downforce package. Like I talked about so many times on, on this show, the cars were basically like slot cars. You know, how pathetic was it that I still remember vividly to this day, November of 2019, Brad Keselowski in cup qualifying at Texas Motor Speedway, wide open around a mile and a half racetrack, never having the lift whatsoever, like he was driving a truck out there. That was not a real race car. That's not real racing. And like Dale Earnhardt Jr. said to Steve Phelps, this was a real race car. You had guys out of control on the ragged edge spinning out just for pushing the limit on this race car. That's definitely something to be, that, to be encouraged about, to be excited about moving forward. We finally have a real race car again. Instead of, like I said, just wide open, wide open all the way around Auto Club Speedway or Las Vegas Motor Speedway, basically any intermediate track. That's, that was not a real race car. This is a real race car. When not only are you on the edge of control, but you're on the throttle, off the throttle. Tire wear comes into account now. When basically, you know, I can remember when Kurt Busch won at Las Vegas Motor Speedway two years ago. Tons and tons of laps on those tires. I mean, really, both Las Vegas races in 2020. Joey Logano in February, Kurt Busch in September. They stay out, even though they have all those laps on their tires, that clean air and just being able to manipulate the air, that clean air versus the dirty air, run wide open around the racetrack. That resulted in both of them winning those races. You know, that's, as Dale Earnhardt Sr. would say, that's not real racing. That's not real racing. But getting back to the action, lap 92 off of turn four, Christopher Bell, you know, this has definitely been a horrible, horrible start to the season for Christopher Bell. Of course, at Daytona, there was nothing that he could do getting caught up in the first big one of the day. But spinning out in practice and then spinning out on Sunday off of turn four. And once again, all the tires are flat and you have to get towed back to the pits. That's that's embarrassing in itself. And sure enough, Christopher's day was done, and he finished dead last in 36. And, I mean, he is Christopher Bell, William Byron, Harrison Burton, those four especially, those three, excuse me, they have dug themselves into pretty, pretty deep holes already two races into the season. So we go back racing, and like I said, it's it's a battle amongst mainly the Chevy teams. I would have to say the best Ford throughout a majority of the race on Sunday was Chase Briscoe. And like I told Timmy Bevan back in January, since he's a Chase Briscoe fan, 
with this next-gen car driving a lot like those 2020 Xfinity cars. And you have practice, and you have qualifying, and on the gas, off the gas, and this car is out of control. That definitely suits Chase Briscoe's driving style, and that's why I feel like he is definitely going to make a big leap forward this year. I mean, hey, he got the first top-five finish of his career. Yeah, it was the Daytona 500 when he finished third. But he looked very, very strong on Sunday. I would say probably, aside from the Indy Road Course, Last year, probably the second best race of his cup career so far, I would have to say. So Chase Briscoe, William Byron, Tyler Reddick, they looked incredibly strong. And this was definitely a brutal weekend for RFK, Rash Fenway Keselowski. Chris Buescher spinning out in practice, Brad Keselowski spinning out in qualifying, having to start at the back of the field. But even though even though both of them had to overcome these obstacles, they had fast cars. Brad was able to drive up into the top 10 pretty easily. Chris Buescher was just right on the cusp of cracking the top 10 when lap 112, left rear tire goes down, he spins and hits the fence, and his day is over, and he finishes 35th. And we go back to green, and Brad Keselowski, like I said, Brad had made such an amazing charge up through the field after having to start at the back. And off of turn four, as he has finally cracked the top five for the first time all day. And that's the other thing, too. You guys remember when Brad Keselowski's pit crew choked away that 2020 NASCAR Cup Series championship in the championship finale at Phoenix. You know, 15, 16-second pit stops and finished second to Chase Elliott when his pit crew was nailing 12-second stops all day. I love this group that Matt McCall has put together. We're talking about Brad Keselowski's new pit crew. Obviously, some guys that were on the sixth team with Ryan Newman last year, and Matt brought over a bunch of guys that were on the one team at Chip Ganassi with Kurt Busch before they had to close their doors, and then also getting a couple guys from Hendrick Motorsports, one from William Byron's team, another one from Alex Bowman's team. They have put together a great pit crew. They were gaining Brad three or four spots just about every single pit stop. But coming off of turn four, Brad slides up in front of Joey Logano. And sure enough, Brad doesn't lift, Joey doesn't lift, and Brad spins off of the corner. And sure enough, ends up losing out on tons and tons of stage points. But a second spin on the weekend, being so close to pit road, sure enough, he was able to drive it onto pit road, get the tires changed to go back out there and drive his way all the way back up into the top 10. But sure enough, as we've seen over the past several years, anytime Brad Keselowski is around Joey Logano, sure enough, bad things happen nine times out of 10. So Tyler Reddick is dominating this race. And it's looking like the eight car for the first time since May of 2006 with Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Richmond, it looks like it's going to make its return to victory lane. But this is racing. And as the old saying goes, the fastest car doesn't always win. And sure enough, that's what happened on Sunday. Lap 153, Tyler Reddick, as he's leading the race and battling with Eric Jones and William Byron, Tyler goes down in between turns one and two, and the left rear tire comes apart. And he would have been okay, but William Byron, there wasn't much that William could have done as Tyler was 
sort of coming down the track. William sideswipes into Tyler Reddick. Very similar fashion to almost what happened with Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2002 back in California, except it was way, way less violent. Whereas Kevin Harvick, RCR driver, just like Tyler Reddick, Kevin's left front tire went down, and he's trying to steer the car back into the pits, and as he's coming down the track, he hit Dale Earnhardt Jr. in the right rear quarter panel, Nothing that Dale Jr. could do, and he slams into a concrete wall driver's side at 130 miles an hour and suffers a concussion. Obviously, Tyler and William were going much, much slower, but him coming down the track and William sort of sideswiping into him, sure enough, William hit the wall, and his day was over. Two races and two DNFs. And poor Sean Rosansky, he was, he was up at the casino on Sunday and said that he had put money down on Willie B., to get a top five out of the day. And it looked like he was not only well on his way to a top five, but possibly even could have won this race. So sure enough, Christopher Bell, Chris Buescher, William Byron, definitely, definitely tough, tough starts of the season for those three. So Eric Jones, as I said, I think without a doubt, in my opinion, the driver of the day on Sunday, especially when you consider... That Eric, you know, in August of 2020, Joe Gibbs made the decision, we're not going to retain you in the 20 car for 2021. We want to put Christopher Bell on it. And no disrespect to Christopher. I think he's a good, young, talented race car driver. But obviously, there, he, still, he, he still needs to be polished. What I mean by that is there's still improvement. That needs to be done. And Eric, you know, to for Eric to get released from Joe Gibbs Racing and go to the 43 car over at Richard Petty Motorsports, you know, immediately you think to yourself, like, wow, this was a guy that looked like he was going to be one of NASCAR's next biggest things, and here he is having to drive the 43 car for Richard Petty. But I'll tell you what, last year considering it was a one-car team, getting their stuff from Richard Childress. Eric definitely got the most out of that 43 car. Six top 10 finishes on the year. 10th at Las Vegas, 9th in the Bristol Dirt Race. That definitely stood out to me. He looked phenomenal in that Bristol Dirt Race. But a lot of top 10 finishes in the second half of the year. 7th on the Indy Road Course, 8th in the Night Race at Bristol, Ninth at Talladega in October, and then eighth at Martinsville on Halloween. The, Eric definitely did the best that he could with that car and that equipment. And when they hired Dave Ellens in the offseason from Junior Motorsports, I mean, that has certainly made a difference. And of course, merging, of course, with, with GMS. But Eric was so fast to Daytona, ran the top three majority of the day before getting caught up in one of the big ones with 10 laps to go. And Sunday at Fontana, definitely the best that he has looked in close to two years. So it looked like Eric, what a story that would have been on Sunday. But Joey Logano, as expected, you know, Joey definitely put on a great drive from the back of the field to take the lead lap 156. 
so many, so many contenders. But sooner or later, the cream always rises to the top. Kyle Larson taking the lead on lap 167. And, I mean, really, like I said, really, really looking like this was definitely going to be a Chevy type of day. So, lap 159. Brad Keselowski had driven his way all the way back up into the top 10. And coming off of turn two, it sort of looked like Bubba Wallace got into the back of him. It also sort of looked like Brad might have come down on Bubba. Sure enough, the two of them come together. Brad spins, Bubba spins, and Harrison Burton gets Harrison Burton gets caught up in it. Two races, two DNFs, and Austin Sendrick, Daytona 500 champion and the pole sitter for Sunday's race. Sure enough, Austin suffered damage as well. And definitely a, a bit of irony for myself and my girlfriend Kelly watching this race as Brad Keselowski and Bubba Wallace. Sure enough, you know she made the decision to become a fan of Bubba. He sort of spin, spins Brad out. Brad sort of came down on Bubba. But we definitely had a good laugh over it, and I wasn't, I wasn't too mad about it compared to, obviously, previous years. Obviously, when it comes to someone like Joey Logano, of course, you know, definitely, definitely a totally different story. But here we were once again for the second time in 24 hours, Brad Keselowski spinning off of turn two. All the tires are flat. And because of that, having to wait for a tow back to the pits and loses three laps in the process and is down to 30th just like that. And that's the point that I want to make, not just because it happened to Brad Keselowski, but because it happened to so many drivers this past weekend at Auto Club Speedway. Get some freaking inner liners back in the tires. This is absolutely ridiculous and unacceptable. When a driver, like I said, like Brad or Christopher Bell or whoever, but any driver busts their ass off all day long and you lose three laps in the process just because these tires don't have inner liners on them. All four of the tires are flat. That is absolutely ridiculous and something that NASCAR needs to address immediately. Immediately. I mean, really, that that's... As great as the racing was throughout the, the whole weekend, how pathetic is it with these new wheels that you lose three, four laps in the process, or in Christopher Bell's case, you're done for the day just like that? Not right. Not right. But sure enough, after the incident in turn two, Joey Logano, first off of pit road, looking like he's the guy to beat. But Kyle Larson, like I said, I had a feeling that you know, Kyle was going to I mean, once he got to the front, I had a feeling that he was, that it was basically his race to lose. But sure enough, we were not done on the day. Lap 173, Ross Chastain. Ross had done such an amazing job from the back of the field after that horrible crash on Saturday. Up in the top 10, but he spins off of turn four. And once again, just like Brad Keselowski, just like Christopher Bell, having to wait for a toe back to the pits and loses two laps in the process. So under the caution flag, we know about these tires being worn out at Fontana. Chase Briscoe stayed out, and I knew I knew that that was pretty much, he was, he was toast right then and there. But we go back to green, and what an amazing battle between Joey Logano, Kyle Larson, and Chase Elliott. But this was the moment where everything came unhinged and undone for Chase Elliott. 
So there's less than 10 laps to go. Joey Logano, Kyle Larson, two NASCAR Cup Series champions battling it out for the lead and the win. And Joey's trying to crowd Kyle. Kyle's trying to crowd him down. And the other thing that Dale Earnhardt Jr. said, what's so great about this next-gen car, yeah, the next-gen car, is when the two leaders are side-by-side side like that, it gives the third-place car just this, this huge, huge burst of speed and momentum. And that's what happened to Chase Elliott on Sunday. Chase Elliott gets this huge run as Kyle Larson and Joey Logano as one is trying to slow the other down. And when that happened, Kyle Larson's spotter, Tyler Mon, Tyler was more focused on Joey Logano and wasn't really focused on Chase Elliott with all the speed and that momentum. So when Kyle came up to block Chase Elliott, sure enough, Chase hit the wall. And immediately, Chase comes over the radio and yells, Stupid motherfucker! You know, and you get Eddie DeHaunt, who... <laughs> who is no model citizen himself. You get Eddie DeHaunt calling Kyle Larson a moron. Alan Gustafson is calling Kyle Larson a, an effing idiot. And sure enough, lap 193, Chase Elliott spins the car in turn two. When nobody was even near him. Nobody. And he immediately comes over the radio and is like, ah, oh, what the was he doing and alan gustafson says to him next time next time larson's alongside of you turn your wheel to the left so this is the problem that i have with not only chase elliott but a majority of chase elliott fans and for the record i know a lot of chase elliott fans one of my great buddies nick bonk he he's a chase elliott fan but he's a respectable Chase Elliott fan. Some of the behavior that I saw on Twitter on Sunday, Chase Elliott fans towards Kyle Larson was absolutely disgusting. And honestly pathetic. This is NASCAR racing. Racing. This is part of racing. And for Chase Elliott fans to say that, oh, Kyle Larson should have been penalized. He should have been disqualified. He should be suspended because he put his teammate Chase Elliott in the wall. Oh, you know, Kyle Larson, he only looks out for himself. When there's seven laps to go and you're battling for the win, you think Chase Elliott gave two shits about Kyle Larson? No. You think Kyle Larson cared about Chase Elliott? No. At the end of the day, you know, like Dale Earnhardt Jr. has said so many times before, teammate or not, you get down to the end of a race, you look out for yourself. You're not, you're not going to look out for a teammate unless you're someone spineless like Ryan Blaney in the Daytona 500 or Greg Biffle in the 2012 Daytona 500. No. This is called racing for a reason. This is good, hard fashion, old school racing. Did Kyle Larson... Or Kyle Larson's spotter, Tyler Mon, make a mistake? Absolutely. But he owned up to it. These Chase Elliott fans act like Kyle, just in the back of his mind, was like, oh, I'm going to turn right and I'm going to pin Chase Elliott on the wall and, and screw him out of a good finish. That's the mentality that this fan base has. 
And one of the most disgusting things I saw, it was some sort of Chase Elliott fan on Instagram. We all remember the beginning of Kyle Larson's career, NASCAR career, when he was a rookie in the Nationwide Series in 2013 and that horrible crash he had at Daytona in February where his car went into the catch fence. And about, I forget how many fans were injured, but still, his car goes sailing into the catch fence. There was hardly anything left of the car. And some Chase Elliott fan put up that picture of his car sailing into the catch fence and wrote, oh, I hope this happens to Kyle Larson on Sunday at Las Vegas. That is sickening, disgusting, disturbing in itself. And Chase Elliott, by far the most popular driver, as we've talked about so many times before, being the son of Bill Elliott, taking over Jeff Gordon's car in 2016, driving for Dale Earnhardt Jr., in the NASCAR Nationwide Series, winning a championship for him in 2014. The first ever Junior Motorsports Championship, for that matter. And then being a teammate to Dale Jr. for the final two seasons of his career. And obviously, a lot of Dale Earnhardt Jr. fans flocked to Chase Elliott, converted to Chase Elliott. So obviously, he has the biggest fan base in the sport. But that doesn't shy away from the fact that a majority of his fan base is absolutely toxic. There's no excuse for something like that. Oh, I hope Kyle Larson sails into the catch fence on Sunday. That's disgusting, honestly. And honestly, if I'm Chase Elliott, I would count my lucky stars that NASCAR didn't penalize him for spinning that car on purpose on Sunday. It was obvious at that point that he didn't want Kyle Larson to win that race, and he was obviously hoping that someone other then Kyle Larson was going to win that race on Sunday. And last I checked, Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Bristol in 2004, Clint Boyer at Richmond in 2013, both of them were fined, both of them were penalized for when they spun a car on purpose. Obviously, I mean, Clint Boyer, when he spun that car at Richmond in 2013, that was the end of Michael Waltrip racing. But, hey, NASCAR's most popular gets off the hook. But anyway, before I get back to the end of this race here, Chase Elliott's mad. Alan Gustafson is mad. Eddie DeHaan's mad. Kyle Larson and Tyler Mon, they owned up to it. If I'm Rick Hendrick, if I'm Jeff Gordon, and Rick has dealt with this several times throughout the 38-year history of Hendrick Motorsports, whether it was Jeff Bodine and Tim Richmond or even when Daryl Waltrip was there, you know, this, that was definitely an era where old-school veteran drivers didn't want a teammate. But Ricky Rudd and Kenny Schrader in Martinsville in 1990, that comes to mind. I think back to April of 2010, Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson, when they were running into each other at Texas and Talladega in less, twice in less than a week and had issues with each other. I think back to 2012. Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon, two separate incidents on the year at Bristol in March and Michigan in August. We all know the story about back in 2005, the end of 2005, when Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss, when Jimmy crashed in the 2005 championship race in Miami and ended up losing the championship, he was mad at Chad Knauss. Chad Knauss was mad at him. Chad was getting offers from other teams. I think Ray Evernham was one of them. 
obviously part of the Rainbow Warrior days in the, in the 90s. And Chad, from all the rumors I heard, was ready to accept an offer and go work for somebody else. And Rick Hendrick caught wind of this. And he called in Jimmy and Chad into his office. And he sat them down at, at his desk. And he had a plate of milk and cookies there. And Jimmy and Chad, they're like, what the hell is this for? You know, Thanksgiving is this week. Christmas is still a month away. And basically, the point that Rick was making was, you two are adults. But if you two want to act like little kids, I'm going to treat you like little kids. The infamous milk and cookies meeting that we've heard about so many times. Well, sure enough, Jimmy and Chad, they aired out their differences. And the following year in 2006, they went on to win their first of five straight championships. And eventually seven championships together. The point is, you cannot let an internal conflict like this grow. You cannot let it snowball. And, I mean, we've seen uh, Hendrick Motorsports, they're by far the best team in the garage area, the best team in the sport for that matter. Probably the greatest team in NASCAR history when you think of it. You don't need internal conflict like that. Look at how many times there's been internal conflict in another organization and sure enough, the relationship and the mood sort of deteriorated. 2005, the biggest example of it all. Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. In the offseason, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Tony Uri Sr. and Jr., they go their separate ways because of all the arguing they were doing towards the end of the year. And Michael Waltrip gets Tony Uri Jr. and the number eight Budweiser crew and all those cars that Dale Earnhardt Jr. dominated with in 2004. Dale Earnhardt Jr., gets Pete Rondeau, a rookie crew chief, and the crappy cars and pit crew that Michael Waltrip finished 20th in points with in 2004. It finally spilled over the Coca-Cola 600 when Dale Jr. wrecked Michael Waltrip. And the two teams were mad at each other. Tony Uri Sr. basically threw his nephew under the bus. And less than two months later, Michael Waltrip announces that he's leaving DEI. Now, obviously, Chase just signed a five-year extension with Hendrick Motorsports through 2027. So, obviously, nothing's going to come about there. But Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott, no disrespect to William Byron and Alex Bowman, but those are by far the two best Hendrick drivers. You have to work this out. As the Beatles would say, we can work it out. And honestly, when you think of it, I, I even made a tweet about this last year. I sort of compared the Hendrick Motorsports lineup to the Beatles, when you think of it. I said the Kyle Larson was, is obviously John Lennon, when you think of it. Very talented, but also very polarizing at the same time. Chase Elliott, let's face it, he's definitely Paul McCartney. By far the most popular amongst the four. William Byron, you guys know that I would make this comparison. William Byron, I compared him to George Harrison. Because obviously George Harrison is my favorite Beatle. William Byron, by far my favorite Hendrick Motorsports driver. Both of them are very, very good and talented, but very quiet at the same time. And then, of course, Alex Bowman and Ringo Starr. I think that pretty much just speaks for itself. No disrespect to Ringo. But I think amongst those four drivers, as far as talent goes and amongst that, I definitely have Alex fourth out of those four. So I'm confident in Rick Hendrick that they'll work things out. And this will be water under the bridge. I don't know 
by tomorrow or Phoenix, but I'm sure within a couple weeks, it will definitely be water under the bridge. So sure enough, we get a restart lap 197, four laps to go. Joey Logano, Kyle Larson, Eric Jones, Daniel Suarez. Daniel drove his heart out on Sunday, trying his hardest to get that first NASCAR Cup Series win. But man, what a run Kyle Larson had coming off of turn four to pass Daniel Suarez for the lead and the win. And even though he crashed out at Daytona, finishing 32nd, Kyle Larson, our defending NASCAR Cup Series champion, is back on top. He wins at Auto Club Speedway out in Fontana, California, his home track for the second time in his career. He won here in 2017. Kyle Larson from dead last to first, your winner at Auto Club Speedway in Fontana, California. The 17th win of his career, obviously the first since he won the championship at Phoenix back in November. Austin Dillon, what a remarkable job on Sunday, finishing second. Eric Jones, like I said, by far the driver of the race on Sunday in third. Daniel Suarez, fourth. And Joey Logano rounding out the top five. Then these next three drivers did a remarkable job having to come from the back of the field. Eric Almirola, sixth after spinning and qualifying. Kevin Harvick, seventh after crashing in practice. Kurt Busch, after having to do a pass-through penalty at the start of the race to finish eighth. Daniel Hemrick. Daniel Hemrick. Like I said, running part-time for colleague in the Cup Series, Daniel's first top 10 finish since July 28th, 2019, when he finished 7th at Pocono. Obviously, his only full-time season in the Cup Series. And Ricky Stenhouse Jr. rounding out the top 10. 11th was Cole Custer, who won the Xfinity race on Saturday night at Fontana. 12th was pole sitter Austin Sendrick with all the damage that he had. And definitely a disappointing, and I mean disappointing, Weekend for Joe Gibbs Racing out of Fontana. Martin Truex Jr., 13th. Kyle Busch, 14th. And Denny Hamlin, 15th. Chase Briscoe was 16th. Obviously, that strategy did not work out for him. 17th was Ty Dillon. 18th, Ryan Blaney. Ryan had that crazy, crazy save off of turn two on the last lap. But sure enough, it cost him a great finish. Bubba Wallace in 19th. Todd Gillen in 20th. Todd had a wheel come off during the race. Sure enough, his crew chief, Seth Barber, the front tire changer, and the Jackman, they have been suspended for four races, but obviously that's under appeal. Garrett Smithley in 21st, BJ McLeod 22nd, Justin Moneymaker Haley 23rd after crashing on the last lap, Tyler Reddick after leading 90 laps on the day in 24th, and winning both stages for that matter. Alex Bowman 25th, obviously, the clock struck midnight as far as Fontana goes. He hit the wall late in the race and finished 25th. Chase Elliott, 26th. Brad Keselowski, 27th after the the up and down weekend, I guess you could say, that he had. Corey LaJoy, 28th. Ross Chastain, 29th. Josh Balicki, 30th. Michael McDowell had electrical issues with just a couple laps to go, finished 31st. Cody Ware, 32nd. And out of the race because of crash damage, Harrison Burton, William Byron, Chris Buescher, and Christopher Bell dead last in 36, but the reason that he was out, engine failure. So this weekend, the Pennzoil 400 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway tomorrow, 3.30 on Fox. Mike Joy with the call, along with Clint Boyer, and joining them in the booth for these next two weekends, Danica Patrick. And Danica, even though 
her career was not as successful as people wanted it to be, the best finish of her NASCAR career came 11 years ago today at Las Vegas Motor Speedway when she finished fourth in the NASCAR Nationwide Series race at Las, Ve- Las Vegas Motor Speedway, driving that number seven GoDaddy.com Chevrolet for Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kelly Earnhardt Miller, Tony Uri Jr., obviously calling the shots that day. And Danica tied the late Sarah Christian all the way back in NASCAR's inaugural season in 1949, a fourth-place finish, the best finish ever by a female in any of NASCAR's top three series. So tomorrow, 3.30 on Fox, 267 laps. Stage 1, lap 80. Stage 2, lap 160. So just like last week, I'm going to go through the qualifying order here. I really, really like that NASCAR has extended practice to 30 minutes, and there's no longer groups. That was definitely ridiculous, and I'm thankful that that was short-lived, one and done. So obviously, I'm going to do the qualifying order here. And sort of give my take, no pun intended, on what I expect out of them this weekend. And then after practice and qualifying is over and I put the episode up, sure enough, I'll have my pick to win. So originally Group A, the 20 of Christopher Bell. Like I said, Christopher, he definitely has to get the season turned around. Definitely. Two races, two DNFs. And Christopher finished seventh in this race last year. The 51 of Cody Ware, the 17 of Chris Busher. Chris's best finish at Las Vegas was ninth in September of 2020. And then the 24 of William Byron, Willie B. Woo! William's best finish at Las Vegas Motor Speedway was sixth back in September of 2019. Just like Christopher Bell, he has to get his season turned around and pointed in the right direction. And obviously, I think William is going to be very, very strong tomorrow. The 78 of B.J. McLeod, the 31 of Justin Haley, the 38 of Todd Gillen, then the number 9 of Chase Elliott. And Chase, Las Vegas has been a very up-and-down track for Chase. Now, the very first top-five finish of his NASCAR Nationwide Series career came at Las Vegas in March of 2014 when he finished fifth, just barely losing out on fourth to his car owner, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Chase has always shown speed at Las Vegas, but it always, always, something always seems to happen. He did finish second to Denny Hamlin in the September race last year. But I go back to both 2020 races. Chase had probably the fastest car in both those races, but had tire issues in both races. The number eight of Tyler Reddick. Tyler has an Xfinity win at Las Vegas September of 2019. Sure enough, his second consecutive championship season in that series. The number 42 of Ty Dillon. Ty got a top 10 in this race two years ago. The number four of Kevin Harvick. Now, Kevin, the first top 10 finish of his career came at Las Vegas in March of 2001. This was just two weeks, obviously, after the death of Dale Earnhardt. And this was also just a few days after he married his wife, Delana. Kevin has had success at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, two cup wins there in March of 2015 and 2018, and also a Nationwide Series win there in 2010. I definitely expect, like I said, Kevin, Rodney Childers, and that forward team to bounce back this year. Then his teammate, the number 41 of Cole Custer, like I said, Cole, that the Xfinity win at California, that was definitely a shot in the arm that he needed after such a, a very, very tough season last year. The 47 of Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Ricky has a Nationwide Series win at Las Vegas, his second consecutive championship season in 2012. 
And then one of the hometown kids, the 45 of Kurt Busch. Kurt, I mean, he's been doing this for such a long time. And he was snake bitten for so many years when it came to his home track at Las Vegas. And he finally broke through in September of 2020 when he was driving that one car for Chip Ganassi. The 99 of Daniel Suarez. Daniel, sure enough, has, like I said, he has a few top 10 finishes here, along with the number 10 of Eric Almarola. Then the number three of Austin Dillon. And amongst this group, I definitely feel like Austin, just like this past weekend in California, I have a feeling that Austin and Tyler Reddick, Richard Childress Racing in general, I feel like, I mean, obviously this is an organization that has done so much work with this next-gen car. But California, it was, it's a very old, bumpy, worn-out racetrack. Las Vegas, it's not as worn out as California, but it's pretty bumpy. So I have a feeling that Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick, especially with their dirt backgrounds, I feel like both of them are going to be dark horses tomorrow. Austin finished fourth in this race two years ago, and sure enough has a truck win there in 2010 and an Xfinity win there in 2015. So look out for Austin Dillon tomorrow. And then the last of Group A is the 43 of Eric Jones. Like I said, he and Dave Allens, I think that those two are going to be a great combination for many, many years to come. Eric has a truck win at Las Vegas in 2014. Then on to the second group, the 44 of Greg Biffle, his second race of the year for New York Racing. Obviously, this is a heavily, heavily underfunded team. So, I mean, really nothing to expect out of the Biff. Two third-place finishes at Las Vegas in 2008 when he finished third behind Carl Edwards and Dale Earnhardt Jr., and then in 2012, finishing third behind Tony Stewart and Jimmy Johnson. Greg has a truck series win at Las Vegas in 1999. Then the 21 of Harrison Burton, obviously Harrison's father, Jeff, former teammate of Greg Biffle, and Jeff was phenomenal when it came to Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He won a couple Bush races there, 2000, 2002, and also two cup wins as well, 1999 and 2000, and won a million dollars in the rain in 2000. The number one of Ross Chastain. Ross's first NASCAR Xfinity Series win came at Las Vegas in September of 2018. The 77 of Josh Balicki, the 7 of Corey LaJoy, the 34 of Michael McDowell. Michael's led a few laps at Vegas over the years, just doesn't really seem to have that luck. The 48 of Alex Bowman. Alex was very, very fast at Las Vegas two years ago. I remember the February race where he was running second behind Ryan Blaney with just a couple laps to go. He was closing in on him. And then Ross Chastain, who was filling in for Ryan Newman at the time, Ross spun off of turn two. And Todd Gordon and Greg Ives, they made that decision to pit Ryan Blaney and Alex Bowman. They lost all their track position. Joey Logano, just a second race with Paul Wolf. Paul has him stay out on the racetrack. He wins the race. And Ryan and Alex, they don't even get top tens out of the day. Alex's best finish came at Las Vegas in September of 2020 when he finished fifth. And then, of course, like I talked about that night with Jason Boone, in the mind of Dale Earnhardt Jr., it was like Alex Bowman was the only car on the racetrack that night. The 15 of Garrett Smithley. The 11 of Denny Hamlin, who won at Las Vegas in September of last year. And this was a track that Denny struggled mightily at throughout a majority of his career. Just a hand, just a couple of top five finishes, hardly any laps led. I mean, you pull up Denny's Vegas stats, the beginning of his career. So before Chris Gabehart came along in 2019, Denny Hamlin had 
Two top five finishes at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Third in 2007 behind Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon. And fifth in 2015. And had only led, let's see here, only led a grand total of 15 laps. Chris Gabehart comes along in 2019. Sure enough, they struggled the first year, 10th and 15th. But since 2020, the fall of 2020, they finished third behind Kurt Busch and Matt Benedetto. 121 laps led on the night. Excuse me. Then in this race last year, they finished fourth behind Kyle Larson, Brad Keselowski, and Kyle Busch. 47 laps led on the day. And sure enough, the September race last year, the car to beat, 137 laps led, and held off a hard-charging Chase Elliott for the win. And Denny is another one that definitely needs to get his season turned around. The number six of Brad Keselowski. And Brad has a chance tomorrow to tie Jimmy Johnson, who won four cup races at Las Vegas, 2005 to 2007, and then 2010. Brad has three cup series wins at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. 2014, of course, when Dale Earnhardt Jr. ran out of gas half a lap from the finish. 2016, and the first ever fall race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway in 2018 to go along with a nationwide series win at Las Vegas in 2014. But like I said, this is RFK. This is Roush Fenway Keselowski. Even though Roush was the organization to beat at Las Vegas from 1998 to 2004. So from 19, 1998 to 2004, seven, the first seven cup races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Roush won five of them. The first one with Mark Martin in 1998, two back-to-back with Jeff Burton, 1999 and 2000, and then Matt Kenseth, Matt Kenseth in 2003 and 2004. But like I said, obviously this is an organization that fell on some hard times. And obviously a new crew chief like Matt McCall, but like I said, I feel like Brad and Matt, I feel like they've already got great, great chemistry, and they're only going to get better. But even though this is one of Brad's best tracks, I'm going to temper my expectations a little bit this weekend and say top 10, maybe a top 5. The 23 of Bubba Wallace. Bubba finished 6th in this race two years ago. Almost won the truck race here in 2014. And I feel like, like I said, having a new teammate in Kurt Busch is only going to make him better. Then the other hometown kid, the 18 of Kyle Busch. Kyle, he won at Las Vegas in 2009. And also a couple of Xfinity wins, a couple of truck series wins at Las Vegas. Las Vegas, he finished second in the truck race last night to the truck that he owns, the 18 of Chandler Smith. So definitely look out for Kyle Busch tomorrow. The 16 of Daniel Hemrick. Like I said, you know, Daniel, you almost wish that Daniel would drive the 16 car full-time. He has done a remarkable job so far in this car. 12th in the Daytona 500. Ninth last week in California, overcoming some early issues. But sure enough, A.J. Allmendinger will be in the car next weekend at Phoenix. And then Noah Gregson at Atlanta. It will definitely be a while before Daniel Hemrick is back in the 16 car. The 12 of Ryan Blaney. Ryan has a boatload of top five finishes at Las Vegas, and they're all fifth place finishes. But even though I have a feeling, though, that he will definitely be a contender. Jonathan Hassler, like I said, Jonathan had so much success at Las Vegas as an engineer, first with Brad Keselowski, then with Joey Logano. The 14 of Chase Briscoe. Chase swept both Xfinity races at Las Vegas in 2020. The 19 of Martin Trex Jr., 
Martin, sure enough, the first win of his championship season in 2017 came at Las Vegas, and he did win here in September of 2019. The two of Austin Sendrick. Austin finished second to Chase Briscoe in the Xfinity race there February of 2020. And the number five of Kyle Larson, not only our defending Cup Series champion, but the defending winner of this race. This was his first win with Hendrick Motorsports in this race last year. A great battle he had all day long with Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, Chase Elliott before he had some issues. And sure enough, the last car to go out is the 22 of Joey Logano. Joey, he has... Two cup wins in the spring race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway 2019 and 2020. One with Todd Gordon, and like I said, in 2020, his first win with Paul Wolf and the All-Two crew. So when I look at these groups, Group A and B, when I look out of Group A, like I said, I look for a lot of Chevrolets. I look at Chase Elliott, Tyler Reddick, and Austin Dillon, and Eric Jones, possibly, to be contenders. And then Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is another one. Ricky finished third in this race two years ago. Aside from that, William Byron, of course. Aside from that, really the only non-Chevrolet out of Group A that I see being really, really strong potentially tomorrow is the number four of Kevin Harvick. Kurt Busch, I feel like he and Billy Scott are getting there, but there's still some kinks that need to be worked out. Group B, I would have to say, even though I said I, I... sort of tempering my expectations with Brad Keselowski for the weekend. Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch, I know they showed tons of speed in practice, but didn't really back it up in the race. I would have to say for Group B, definitely the Penske cars. The Penske cars have always been really, really strong at bumpy racetracks like this. So I definitely look at Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano. I'm still on the fence with Austin Cindric, even though he was the pole sitter. Sure enough, he didn't lead any laps on, on Sunday. The 19 of Martin Trex Jr. Vegas has been a great track for Martin. But, of course, when it comes to Group B and it comes to, to all of this, who else but Kyle Larson? Kyle Larson, like I said, even though there has been no practice or qualifying just yet, if I'm a betting man right now, I would have to say Kyle Larson. As I said, Kyle Larson, at the moment, that is my pick to win. I will put this episode up after qualifying is over and tell you guys who I'm picking. But at, at the moment, I'm leaning towards Kyle Larson. Like I said, some of the contenders for tomorrow, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, Martin Trex Jr. And amongst Group A, like I said, especially Chase Elliott, Tyler Reddick, Austin Dillon, Eric Jones, maybe William Byron or Kevin Harvick. But like I said, for the most part, tomorrow you're going to see multi-grooves of racing. You're going to see these cars on the edge and out of control. I don't know if you're going to be able to play the two-tire game like you were able to. I think it's going to be four tires, a whole bunch of stops. You're going to see guys like Larson running right up against the fence, guys like Harvick right around the bottom, guys like Brad Keselowski running in the middle of the racetrack. That's what makes Las Vegas so much fun and so enjoyable is, like I said, a bumpy Surface like this, great racing, great restarts, and cars that are finally on the edge and out of control. That is what I'm looking forward to tomorrow at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. I think it's going to be about strategy, and I think it's going to be more than anything just taking care of your car and your tires. I think those are definitely the keys to victory 
for tomorrow at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And at the moment, I'm picking the number five of Kyle Larson. That will do it for episode 97 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Next week, we will be previewing all of the action at Phoenix Raceway. Have a great weekend and enjoy the race tomorrow. Y'all take it easy.